Okay, so it's the 16th of July, day 712 of lockdown. Um, these are more of my unfiltered, uncensored, unedited thoughts from my brain to you. Uh, huh, interesting. I'll come back to that in a second. Um, uh, I didn't sleep well last night because, <laughs> for the craziest reason, I watched the last four episodes of uh, I May Destroy You. Uh, and was kind of destroyed. Uh, I mean, she she warned she warned us. Um, I'll talk. Up. Uh, I sort of struggled. I couldn't really get to sleep. Um, it's a lot on my mind. Uh, I'll talk about that more and another time. I've not quite. Um, I've not quite uh, processed my thoughts on that yet. Um, although I do recommend you watch it. Uh, it's great. And listen to Sophie Jekyll's podcast about it. It's also great. But yeah, uh, I think what I want to talk about is... Um, um, uh, is talking. I want to talk about talking. <laughs> Let, let's get meta. Um, another, one of the things that I, I came across when I was not sleeping uh, was a TikTok, right? Uh, TikTok is absolutely fascinating to me guys um i don't i don't get it yet but what i but i've seen some incredible stuff on there uh, and this is a, like a short video by a young woman uh, talking about linguistics uh she's uh, not a linguist it's just a passion she's not like studying it she's just passionate about it which i love um and she basically talked about like she talked about the word uh, like um which is a word that I've sort of uh for the most part like, I used to say like a lot more than I do now <laughs> and it's interesting because she talks about the reasons we use the word like uh, the various meanings for it but the one I want to focus on is the very last one where she talks about the concept of filler words uh, filler words are um, you know, uh, <laughs> you know is a perfect one, and it's one that I use all the time. If you've listened to this, uh, that wasn't deliberate. Uh, <laughs> that was me thinking and filling the type, filling it with a word. And she points out that one of the reasons a lot of young women use uh, filler words so much is that there's a fear that if they stop talking, they will be interrupted. I, <laughs> I don't know if it was just still emotional from the TV show that I'd been watching. That really got to me. Um, I think about how about communication a lot. I think about talking a lot. I think about um, listening a lot. This whole conceit, right, of what I'm doing here, is me talking into a microphone, and I still feel pressure to. Uh, talk in a certain way. I literally have set up this situation. <laughs> I have told you that it's going to be unfiltered, uncensored, unedited. And I still... So I could, like, have long pauses. And not edit them out, right? And that's part of the, the deal. But I don't. Uh, because of many reasons. One, uh, dead air is bad for... Uh, radio and podcast, although this is not a podcast. Uh, but also, even in a situation where I'm in my room, on my own, under my covers, remember that's how I record these, there is still part of my brain that feels like if I stop talking for any length of time, I will be interrupted. 
How wild is that? <laughs> I am on my own. And I am talking about, like, and I'm essentially monologuing into a microphone. And I'm still worried somewhere in my lizard brain <laughs> that I will be interrupted. Um. <sighs> right, so. I worry about a lot of things. That's how anxiety works. And communication is one of the things that I worry about. I am... Um, Traditionally, when I was when I was much younger, I didn't talk much. Uh, I'll get into, I'll, I'll, I was gonna say I'll get into that. But I mean, I'll, I'll do that now. I'll, I'll sort of try and break down what I think was happening. Young queer people and queer people in general um, spend our time, uh, our, our internal time. Uh, Asking questions that we don't either a don't know the answer to or b are upset by the answers to that is and that causes a lot of shame. All right, uh, that's not a, a new thing. I'm not. <laughs> I hope I'm not blowing anyone's minds to reveal that that queer people grow up with a lot of internalized shame. Of course we do, because there's a lot of external shame. You hear people, uh, when you're growing up, you hear people in the playground calling things gay in a derogatory way. You see um, negative portrayals of queer people on television. Uh, you hear people, you, sometimes in positions of power, sometimes adults, actively talking about how terrible queer people are. These are things that we hear all around us. And we're young, we don't engage in that conversation, we don't know that conversation, we don't have the education for it, so we internalise it all and it becomes shame. Carrying around that sort of shame when you're that young uh, has an impact on how you interact with the world. Okay? Because you are filled with self-doubt. Okay? Uh, okay, okay is another one of my, my fellow words, okay? Uh, <laughs> um, and if you're filled with self-doubt and, don't, and you have self-esteem issues, that affects how you communicate with people. I learned, I self-taught myself from a young age that before I speak, it goes through a filter, or went through a filter, of what you're going to say is wrong and stupid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Like, so, from, and this is not, not anyone, nobody, like, my parents were uh, always very open about, like, communicating. Um, uh, I had brothers. Uh, like, th it's not like I was, like, raised in a cupboard under the stairs. And I wasn't, like, um punished for speaking I just didn't I was quite a quiet quiet child uh, that's how they describe people right a quiet child um, and I don't know why I can speculate looking back and I've talked to uh, I talked to a therapist about this about looking back and this is before I knew I was queer so that's interesting oh yeah I've not seen a therapist since I came out I really need to anyway <laughs> anyway because uh, there's a lot to unpack there um, I see my gender therapist, not the same thing. Um, and a big part of it is, because we were talking about just my anxiety, that was related to my anxiety, my OCD, and my um, um, sort of social anxiety, etc. 
and that will develop, I think, probably from growing up queer and not understanding it. I think that's a fair assumption to make. Uh, I was also bullied when I was younger. I've talked about this before, uh, and that that obviously impacts it, right? Because that's like, oh, I'm being punished <laughs> for just existing, so therefore my existence must be wrong and that's a horrible thing to feel as a child it's a horrible thing to feel as an adult it's a horrible thing uh, so my filter was always you're stupid and wrong but sometimes I would like things and I would be passionate about things and I would bring it up and now this is where it's interesting uh, my friends and family although friends at that time was complicated it would often react and I don't blame anyone for this there's this thing where if you are traditionally quiet and don't say much and don't have strong opinions about things there's two things happen one I struggled with finding the right words for stuff uh, which is ironic because like uh, I could write well my writing was always very fluent and fluid but my word choice was always just slightly odd so I, I had this um, thing about expressing opinions <laughs> and I don't blame my parents or my family for this at all but if I had expressed an opinion, f first of all it would be unexpected for me to express a strong opinion on something because I didn't, right? So that immediately puts people on a defensive and secondly my word choice was usually like not the best because I struggled with trying to express myself. So I would often say things in such a way that it sounded like uh, like I was being arrogant. And that's a, that's a, very, that's a very strange situation, right? And this, this continued all the way through to university. <laughs> I, I will say that. This continued all the way through until university. Where uh, I would just suddenly come out with something like I'd be quiet and then suddenly I'd be like oh this thing's terrible I remember once saying um, like I remember I, I have this vague memory of my dad telling me like you can't just say something is terrible like you can't just say that this is bad because it's not right <laughs> like, I think it was I had this weird like feel, memory of a philosophical argument about uh, whether Picasso was bad <laughs> Because I, I especially was weird about this with music. Because music was one of the first things that I started having very strong opinions on. And uh, I wrote about 2001. I've talked about when I got into music in 2001. Uh, and I started going, and I was like, some of it was parroting uh, stuff I'd read in The Enemy. Uh, <laughs> some of it was like genuine. I, think I started becoming a bit of a musical Nazi. Um, as a term that was used by my friends to describe my views on music that I was a musical Nazi that seems extreme to me I, I'm now uh, in a much better position where I'm like yeah you know if you like that that's fine <laughs> whereas back then I was like no if you like Westlife you're a bad person that's the thing I used to say and that's wrong <laughs> but what's weirder is people is pe was people's reactions to it. people didn't expect me to say stuff so when I did people were immediately on the defensive that's just how that works, right? If uh, my, if people's worldview of you is that you're, you know, 
a chill, passive person, and then you're you're angry about something, people's right. An example from university. This is my first year of university. Um, I was on a bus, and I was still quite figure, still figuring out myself, figuring myself out. I wouldn't figure myself out until way later. Um, I was on a bus, and. We, there was an argument about the NHS. Actually, this was my second year. There was an argument about the NHS, which I was quite passionate about. This is where I started to like engage with politics in a proper way. You know, like people do at university. And a friend of mine, or someone I knew, well, a friend, actually a friend of mine, like backed up the person I was arguing with. Later, like a couple of days later, she came up to me and she was like, I don't know why I backed him up in that argument. I agreed with you. But I, and that was like she was just I think she was so shocked by the the passion of my argument from me a very passive person that she immediately backed up this other person She's playing it devil's advocate right uh, even though he was not playing devil's advocate he was a massive Tory um, and was against the NHS such a strange situation right but that's how I've grown up developing things. So now, how I now how I fast forward to now, and how I interact with people, I speak very fast. Uh, I know this. I speak very very fast, and I think, again, uh, this is stuff I talked about with my therapist. Part of the reason I speak so fast is I worry that I will be shut down. Like I worry that my anything I say will be shut down. Uh, I still have that filter or of anything you say will be stupid and wrong but I ignore it and say stuff <laughs> okay I still have that in my head though whenever whenever I speak anytime I've spoken I've done this is the 54th one of these I've done and every single time I speak in all of these my brain is going what you're saying is stupid and wrong 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 that is exhausting that is an exhausting thing to hear constantly whenever you speak and this is the thing. I know that what I'm saying is not always stupid and wrong. Sometimes it is. You know, human beings say stupid stuff all the time. I misspeak or I have the wrong anesthetic or I don't have all the information and I just randomly say stuff. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing that I've developed, which is a fun thing. Uh, I developed, like, I'm like, oh, if people... <laughs> stemming from that interaction in second year of university... I realised that if I didn't have strong opinions about things, people didn't listen. <laughs> so I started to just have strong opinions about stuff that I didn't even really care about. Or worse, that I didn't know about. Uh, I've, trying to, I, I've tried since then to sort of reel that back to have um, sort of uh, manageable opinions of things and not just, not just extreme opinions. Uh, I have extreme opinions about some things things that are really matter to me um but a, a huge thing that i've been coming to terms with is that i don't have to have an opinion on everything <laughs> there are a lot of things that i don't know and that's fine i used to do a thing and i still do it sometimes i used to do it a lot where i was like cool if i need to be seen as somebody who has strong opinions about things i will have strong opinions about things so i would act as if i had new stuff uh, like, I would be like, oh, I know this. Yeah, I read about this. Sure. 
And that's a defense mechanism for me, right? To override other people's defense mechanisms of this quiet person speaking up. Now, the point that this person on TikTok made uh, was that this need to not this feeling of not wanting to be uh, interrupted was explicitly gendered. Now, this is a weird one for me because essentially, I was I mean I was raised male, okay, and I hate saying that. Um, <laughs> it makes me feel terrible. It makes me feel very dysphoric, but it's essentially true. However, I feel like. Especially like the kind of bullies, the people who bullied me, bullied me for not fitting in. Uh, people around me at school, even if they think they knew I didn't fit in, I feel like a lot of that was some on some base level people understanding that there was a difference there, right? Under uh, not knowing what it was, but understanding there was a difference there and something that they wanted to react to. So I hear a lot of my female friends and a lot of female academics and a lot of uh, just women generally, uh, you know, um, talking about their experiences growing up and I identify with it so much. Being told to shut up. Being spoken over. And not as an aggressive thing, not as a like an abusive thing, although sometimes that is the case. But just as a general way of being. That is how I was growing up. And I don't know if that's... In some base level, some people uh, understood my energy to be that of a woman. I don't know if that's a thing, right? (laughs) But that idea that I was not um, part of the traditional... male masculine man way of communicating right I didn't uh, so I so I tried to uh, incorporate that into my life and it felt terrible (laughs) I will have strong opinions about things that I don't know anything about is um, (laughs) a common thing that people will take up uh, to try and become more assertive it doesn't work uh, and assertiveness is is in our society very gendered. Uh, men are assertive, women are bossy. That's that's the dichotomy there, right? It's the same thing. It's just uh, wrapped in misogyny and, and uh, gender stereotypes. So, where am I now? That's what I'm going to talk about now. Uh, so I still talk very, very fast. I try not to... Um, I still do, but I try. I try really hard, really hard, not to immediately become defensive or um, pretend I'm an expert in things that I'm not. Uh, allowing myself to say, "I actually don't know about that." I actually don't know about that, uh, which is hard because I know people who are who really are, like to play devil's advocate, and I hate that so much, and I want to react to it. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, instead of, so people will be like well you know maybe there's a different side of this my brain immediately wants to go no there is not <laughs> uh, which can be seen as quite strident uh, sometimes that is because I'm passionate about that thing and sometimes it's just because I'm like no I don't want to give you the opportunity to play devil's advocate about this because there is no need to 
uh, and I will sometimes get myself in a situation where I'm like, well, I actually know this, and I'm like, I actually don't have enough information on this, I just know this one thing, <laughs> and I want you to be clear that this one thing, I'm assuming a lot of other stuff because of this one thing that I know. Um, luckily, those are not usually my friends. Uh, like, my friends are not generally devil's advocate types, but, you know, you, especially if you work in, uh, like, the comedy field, uh, and you're talking to people afterwards, and it's people you don't know, and then, and they are, <laughs> there is, oh my god, there is nobody who is more sure of their own opinions than, um, uh, than young white men who are open spots at comedy clubs. <sighs> there is no group of people I have ever met who are more sure, who are more sure about how they feel being the right way to feel. And yet, filled with, uh, and yet filled with self-loathing about it. It is exhausting. So I just try not to talk to those people. Uh, I still, amongst friends, uh, have the thing where I sometimes, uh, I feel, I worry, uh, that I dominate conversations. I don't know if that's true. I've talked to people about it and people have said, assured me that I don't. And some people, but then some people have gone, well, you know, sometimes you get passionate and it's hard for you to stop talking. And I think, and this all comes back from, hmm. okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to say some things uh, that are going to sound really heavy, and they are a little heavy, but they're not as heavy as they could sound. Um, the, my therapist, my old therapist, explained that the way I talk, and that we need to just keep my part of my keep myself alive in this conversation is a trauma response okay i've just mentioned the word trauma and uh, i i had to take a sharp intake of breath uh, we have as a society a very strange view of trauma we think of it as we think of it when we think of trauma what we mainly think of is something like ptsd right uh and I've never been officially diagnosed with PTSD. My, my therapist in, uh, investigated it with me. And we talked about that. Um, but the thing about this is, whenever we hear that, they think that something terrible must have happened. We are shown, especially in media and various other, and, you know, especially in the media like television and film stuff, uh, that trauma uh, stems from one huge traumatic event like assault or abu uh, or an abusive uh, moment or witnessing a dead body or you know like th things that m that are dramatic for the sake of television or film trauma doesn't have to be like that trauma can be accrued over time and a lot of queer people grow up gr accruing that trauma small things. I have flashbacks to being younger and having my hair cut and hating it. To me that was a traumatic experience. That's right. I, I, I'm not saying that me having my hair cut is equivalent to seeing someone killed in front of you, to being assaulted. Of course not. Of course not. But to me as a person who didn't understand what was going on in my mind and my body and my soul. 
me getting a haircut was traumatic. And that's something that you do regularly, okay? And I don't just mean the first time I ever got my haircut. I mean every time I went in for a societally <laughs> expected haircut, that was building up on that. And that's just one small thing. There's lots of other little things. There's been a lot of talk in the news recently, luckily, about microaggressions. Microaggressions build, over time build up trauma. Um, and we can be, and you know, the way I interacted with myself, the way I, uh, uh, sorry, I, and, oh my god, sorry, <laughs> my internal, stuff, oh, I'll get to that in a second, sorry, I just said sorry three times. Uh, the way I interacted with myself uh, at an internal level reinforced and uh, sort of undercrewed more trauma. That's just how it works, right? And I've been working on that. That's what my three, four years of therapy were about. That's a big part of my transition, a big part of my um, self-care is assessing what is a trauma response and what is not. The way I speak is a combination of um, anxiety and trauma response, right? <laughs> and that's nuts. Uh, I mean, just the very fact that I, I, I say the words crazy, nuts, and insane a lot. And I often, in my head, and sometimes out loud, follow them up with, I can say that because I am crazy, I am insane, I am nuts. That's not helpful. That's not a healthy way to communicate. Um, but I do it. Um... So, uh, you know, um, fuck, what was I saying? Oh, okay. Uh, so, speaking with like that, I do, I speak very fast because there's the fear that I, I, I won't be able to get to the end of my point before somebody, uh, before somebody explodes it. I will leap on a conversation. If somebody says something and it makes me, makes me, this is another thing, because of how my OCD works. If somebody says something and it connects to something in my brain, I am so worried sometimes, and again this is something I'm working on, that if I don't say that thing immediately I will forget that thing <laughs> or I will move on from that thing. So a common thing with me in conversations is somebody will be like, oh yeah that's the thing, I'll, oh yeah I know that thing. Right. <laughs> that's not how you should do that. And that's something that I'm like, okay, give that person space to finish their sentence, then you can say your thing. But don't just sit and wait for to say your thing. Actually listen to what they are talking about. Okay. So there's two things that have come up in the past like minute of me talking that I that I want to also address our part of communication. One of them which is apologizing. I apologize roughly a million times a day. <laughs> um, I apologized to you while I was speaking. I apologized to myself for apologizing too much in that interaction. I, that's what happened. And then there was one just sorry that was thrown in as a filler word. <laughs> I use sorry as a filler word because I'm so used to saying it. And that's rough, right? Um, One time, I was back when I was still in Stirling, my flatmate, I didn't know she was in, I was there and I knocked over a bottle of water. The bottle of water had a cap on it, nothing spilled. And I apologised to the bottle of water. I was like, oh god, sorry. My flatmate had just walked into the doorway, just walked in through the doorway. I didn't know she was just in the house. And she was like, did you just apologise to that bottle of water? And my, my honest response was, yes. I apologise to inanimate objects a lot. I give inanimate objects 
more space in my life sometimes than myself. That's a hard thing to know about yourself, that you give more care to material things than your... I'm I'm seeing you. Um, I often give more... um, care and consideration to material things in my life that I do for myself and I always that's a big always I nearly always give more consideration and care to other people than I do to myself hence why I apologise so much if I interrupt someone which I inevitably do because I get passionate and excited and I'm like oh this is the thing I need to say I will then spend the rest of the time either outwardly or worse inwardly apologising the whole time so then when I start speaking, it's not just you're stupid and wrong, it's you're stupid and wrong and you need to apologise to these people for inflicting your stupid wrong opinions on them. That is my default. Anytime I have a conversation with someone, whether it's someone that I have just met or someone I have been friends with for 20 years or someone who I grew up with in my family, my default thing is, you're stupid and wrong and you need to apologise. I'm fighting against that 24 hours a day. And I'm trying, desperately trying, to remove that from me. To get into such to, to communicate in such a way, to assert myself in such a way that I don't feel those things. And I sometimes succeed, I sometimes succeed. Sometimes I'll have conversations with someone and I'll be like, that was a good conversation. I didn't feel stupid or wrong or apologetic. Uh, there are certain people who that's easier with. Um, generally, people who I'm closer to. But it's hard. So yeah, so I apologise a lot. I apologise too much. And again, that's a gendered thing, right? Uh, women are taught to apologise for taking up space. And that's the thing. I am terrified. Terrified of taking up space in people's life. Like, this goes back to what I was talking about the other day about friendship. I live in this mode of thinking that I am a burden to people. Okay, that's part of anxiety, right? And that if I communicate with someone, what I am doing is inflicting my trauma upon them. (laughs) That is a thing that I think. (laughs) It's like, okay. So I try, so when I communicate, when I reach out to someone, it's generally people who I feel safe and comfortable with. And that's not to say after I've not reached out to you, I don't feel safe and comfortable with you. It varies from time to time, person to person, last conversation we had, that's a big one. And that's why I'm so much more comfortable with people getting in touch with me than me getting in touch with someone. Because if someone gets in touch with me, I'm like, okay, good. I am not inflicting myself upon this person. I don't have to apologise for my stupid and wrong interactions with this person. And this leads into 
uh, and a third probably big part of this, right? Just listening. Uh, listening is something. Listening is something I don't think I've ever had a problem with. I think I have good friends who would maybe think I don't listen well because of the fact that I interrupt, because of the fact that, that I, uh, I'm i sort of straightened out my pains, because of the fact that I talk in absolute sometimes and extremes sometimes. Here's the thing. I'm an improviser, okay? It is literally, I get paid to listen to people on stage. Uh, and listening is interesting, because I, I talk about this when I'm teaching. There's a difference between hearing and listening, and I think some people expect to see you hear, right? They expect, like, that moment where you're, like, paying attention, you've got your eyes on them, and you're, uh, like, yeah, and you're, you are, for all intents and purposes, it looks like you're listening. People who do that aren't always listening. Some people who do that are, have, are doing that because it is a trained response. Uh, this is one of the like reasons why, uh, for instance, people assume uh, that neuroatypical people are bad at listening. People assume that. That's not necessarily true. Sometimes, yeah. But sometimes it's just they struggle with making eye contact with people. And people who are like, if you don't make eye contact with people, you're not listening. And that is... Wrong. <laughs> right? Um, you don't have to make eye contact with some people to listen to them. You don't have to make eye contact with someone to hear them. But we're trained, and this is constantly ingrained into us, and I think there's a sort of physiological response. If somebody is making eye contact with us, we assume that they are listening. When I teach improv, uh, a lot of people who have taught improv to me have t- taught about making eye contact, make eye contact with your partner, make eye contact with your partner. I don't teach that as much as I used to. Because I don't know if there's anything in, if there's something inherently good about making eye contact with people, and I don't like forcing people to make eye contact with people if they don't feel comfortable with it. Because I don't know their internal life, I don't know their struggles, their trauma. I don't want to push that on them. All of which is to say, I struggle with making eye contact with people, but I don't struggle with listening to people. And this is the thing: I think people assume I do because I'm easily distracted. Uh, I am what is referred to as hypervigilant. Again, this is a trauma response. Of course it is. I have panic attacks because of this. Um, right? I am constantly aware of my surroundings. Constantly. Hyper aware. I am listening and watching and reacting to my surroundings at all times. So if I'm having a conversation with one person, I am not... I am... I cannot focus on that one person. I can't. That does not mean I'm not listening to them. I'm always listening to them. This is something that I deeply, deeply... Um... Like, sure of myself. I'm always trying to listen to them. I should say trying. If I do get distracted, then that is... I I will usually apologise and try and get people to respond to things. Uh, Unless I feel awkward about it. Okay, but usually, I would say, 95% of the time, I am listening to that person. I I am not 100% focused on them. If, for instance, there's a... If, for instance, um, 
we're in a bar. I remember when we used to be able to uh, go into bars before lockdown. And I'm talking to someone, and there is another group of people who I either know or do not know, having a conversation loudly, about five, ten feet away from me. I will. I cannot help but overhear that other, that person. I can't help it. I have tried, but I can't. I am so in a state of nervous anxiety that my brain immediately goes, well, what if they're like, I have had this thought. This is OCD for you. What if they're planning to kill you? (laughs) That is not, I, I laugh, but that is not an uncommon thing for me to think about a completely disconnected group of people nearby in his place. What if they are planning to kill you? That's not a healthy thing to think about people, but that's just how my brain is wired. Okay? That is how my brain is wired. Um, I can, so I can listen to them, and I will listen to what they're talking about, while still listening to the person I'm talking to. And some people do not like not having your full attention, and I get that. It's disrespectful, right? Uh, but I think the fact is, I still listen, I still hear, I still hear, and I still listen. Sometimes this gets confused, right? So, uh, <laughs> sometimes I'll be talking to someone, and I'll hear friends of mine having a debate about something like, or an argument, or like trying to remember. Very common thing for me is t- people a table over from me, who I know, trying to remember the name of a character from a TV show. And in my brain, I am screaming the name of the character of the TV show. And that's when I get distracted and struggle to listen. So I have, I have on multiple occasions, and if you're friends with me, you have seen me do this. I'll go, hang on, just one second. Well, to the person who I'm talking to and I'm having a deep conversation with and I'm connecting to, I will turn to the table opposite me and say, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, like, and say the name of that character. And then the person I turn back to, I mean, they seem, they feel like shit, right? Because they feel like I've not been paying attention to them, I've been listening to that. And it's such, and I can't, and I've tried to explain to people, I'm like, no, no, I was listening, I just overheard that. Uh, to the point where sometimes I'll like, recite back what people have said, you know? Uh, in that common, like, sitcom way of, were you listening? Okay, what did I just say? I'll be like, yeah, you just said this. And I was thinking about that, but also, these people were thinking this. And obviously I was putting more (laughs) emphasis and more um, strength in what you were saying to me because you are the person I'm directly connecting to, but I couldn't stop my brain from picking up what they were saying and thinking about that. If you're friends with me and I've ever been in that situation and you've ever felt slighted or hurt, I apologise again. I can't. I'm trying, right? That's the big thing for me. I... Improv has helped with this. Um, although there are still times when we do shows where I get too excited and don't give that person space to speak back. Again, it doesn't mean I'm not listening to them. I'm always listening to them. In an improv show, I'm, if again, if anything, listening too much. So if somebody in the audience says something or somebody drops something distantly, I will often I will hear that and I will tr- listen to that and try and react to that, even if the rest of the audience hasn't heard it. And that's distracting. So like if somebody says something, I'm like, what was that? Like, the audience is like, we didn't hear anything, and now you've just freaked us all out by paying attention to that thing instead of the thing. So, 
allowing myself to let things go is a big thing for like for me for to just be like cool I can there is a this connects to this idea that I have where I need to be talking all times or I need to be engaged all times I have a worry that if I don't say the thing that is in my head like if I don't say the name of this TV character if I don't react to this thing the audience this thing in the audience if I don't chime in with my thoughts or opinions on this thing that this person has said that I won't get to that's where it comes down to it comes down from a fear that I am only allowed to speak while these people allow me to speak these people have, have somehow tricked into letting them letting them letting me inflict my burden onto them and uh, express my stupid uh, and wrong opinions to them and they will find me out. It's imposter syndrome, right? It's 100% imposter syndrome. They will find me out in a second. So uh, while I'm here and while I exist in a space where they are actually paying attention to me and actually listening to me and actually giving me the time of day, I need to make sure I get everything in. Because there is a chance, there is a chance that the next time I communicate with them, they will not respond. The next time I say, hey, they will ignore me. The next time I speak up, they will get defensive and turn aggressive on me. Because they do not want me to speak and they want to shut me down. And that is something that I am working on. Okay, that is something that I am working on. Every... Oh, that's, and that's part of the reason <sighs> sorry uh, my old panic attack uh, give me a second uh, yeah, I'm going to have to wrap this up in a second uh, so that I can breathe properly um okay um oh god <sighs> sorry 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 Sorry. Fuck. Fuck. Um. Okay, I'm gonna leave that in. This is. I'm gonna leave that in because it's unedited. Hooray. And that's how I feel talking about myself like this and dealing with things myself like this. Uh, it is such a high level of anxiety that saying that stuff out loud. basically triggering a panic attack so that's fun I'll deal with that in a second um, I need to just not I just need to just not I need to just not okay so stay home uh, sorry stay safe stay well stay home if you can uh, wear a mask if you don't um, stay educated stay informed uh, my name has been Mara Joy thank you very much thank you I'm sorry thank you <laughs>